In Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Tonight is the gospel according to Jonah. This morning has to do with the power of the gospel. Jonah's gospel changes nations. Chapter 3, 1 through 5. So I'll read the text in a moment. My introduction is probably too long. Preachers with long introductions irritate me, but I have a long introduction, so I irritate myself. Um, Brainwashing is what I was thinking about. So I was driving home. I don't know why, but I think that's probably the case is that most of us are a bit brainwashed. To be brainwashed is to be convinced of something even when it's not true and never putting it to the test. Uh, If you want an example, I was always told that if you cook a steak on a gas grill, it doesn't taste as good as if you cook it on charcoal. I was always told that. I've always said that. I was brainwashed. I didn't know. So one day I just cooked half the steaks on gas and half the steaks on charcoal and didn't tell nobody, and nobody knew the difference. I thought, well, maybe that wasn't even true. Or or that's the other thing. If you drive your car down the road and you turn your air conditioner off and roll down your windows, you'll get better gas mileage. I always believed that. Little did I know if you roll down your windows, it affects the aerodynamics, and wind comes in your car, and you actually get less mileage than with the windows rolled up and the air conditioner on. I didn't know. You know, I just brainwashed, you know, and just believe these things. And so, well, we're brainwashed in church, are we not? I'm just telling you this because I want to give you one difference between you and Jonah. (laughs) I love Jonah, but I want to give you one difference, and that is, see, we're brainwashed. If I say to you this morning, preachers ought to preach the gospel, amen, right? We, We ought to take the gospel to the nations, amen right? Jesus ought to be exalted. Amen, right? We've been brainwashed to say that, but many of us don't believe it. Amen, but we don't do nothing with the gospel. We don't do nothing with it. We just say amen at church because that's what we're told to say. Jonah isn't brainwashed. Jonah says, I don't like those people, and I'm not going there. I don't care what you say, because I know, God, you're merciful, and they don't deserve your mercy, so I'm not doing it. At least he's honest, and even writes it down for you to read about his life, for him to tell you that he don't care about the Gentiles. He's even willing to try to run away from God. We don't have to confront the Gentiles. That's what he tells us, but he went. That's the difference. We say the right thing and don't go. He says the truth of his heart, but yet he submits to God and he goes. So I'd ask you this morning, if you would test your affirmation with the reality of the effects of what you do on a regular basis, is your life a testimony of someone who actually believes that the gospel should go forth into the world. All right, enough of that. That's the difference between us and Jonah as Jonah went. Now, to a more appropriate introduction probably. Every generation, and we're in one, I hear it everywhere I go, bewails its state of affairs. It's always been the case. People are in the worst generation they've ever been through. You can read through biblical history Every generation thinks it's the worst generation that has ever existed on planet Earth. Now, the wickedness of Nineveh is no secret to the world. Everybody knows Nineveh is wicked in this day and age here in Jonah. They know that. Evil is known to God. Their evil has come up before me. It's very well known just who these people were. No prophet of God really wants to go to Nineveh. Give me a First Baptist church where they have a good salary and a nice parsonage. I'm not going to Nineveh. Those people are wicked. I don't want to go there. No prophet wants to go there. As a matter of fact, they didn't, the prophets of Israel didn't even consider the people of Nineveh worthy to hear the gospel. This issue is the very issue that Jonah has with the mission he's to go on. He does not want to be known 
as the prophet who took the gospel of grace to these Gentiles. I don't want to be that guy who is merciful to those who don't deserve mercy. I'll be ridiculed by all of my peers if I go and preach to the men of Nineveh. What, what's a, what if it breaks out in revival and everybody gets saved? What are my friends going to think? What, what's going to happen if I go to the stockyards? What's going to happen if I go to Mexico? What's going to happen if I go to the wrong side of the tracks in Mount Pleasant where all my black friends are and I preach the gospel and people get saved? What are people going to think of me? I'll be ridiculed by my peers. It's also true that in the back of Jonah's mind, Jonah actually believes, get this, don't miss it, he actually believes that if you preach the gospel, people would get saved. See, we're on the other side. We, we think you go out and preach and nothing ever happens. Jonah's the opposite. If I go over there, God's going to save somebody, and I don't even want to preach to them. Jonah recognizes the power's in God, not in him. If I take the gospel over there, I'm unleashing a lethal weapon. I wonder if you believe that this morning, that the gospel still has that same power. When problems exist in society, no matter what society they are, people want a solution. That's why we have politics, right? You've got to solve the problem of crime or whatever the case may be. you got to solve the problem of abortion, solve the problem of whatever the issues are. So we ask questions. How do we fix this situation? How do we make our society a better place? How do we make it where we can all live in harmony, you know, peace and goodwill to all men? We got crime on the increase. We need to do something with our economy. Look at it. I mean, the, the job rate, the inflation. I think we're going to go into a recession. I think we're about to experience the second great depression. Something has to be done. What about all these countries like Russia? What about China? What's going to happen? Are we World War III on the horizon? What are we going to do? What about, what about our neighborhood? Think about all the churches. The neighborhood's gone bad. It's gone so bad. What's the solution? Let's move. Let's get out of here because it's dangerous. You know, First Baptist Church in Port Arthur, Texas is now a Buddhist temple. Why is it a Buddhist temple? Because the neighborhood went bad, and the Christians left, and the Buddhists bought the building, took down the steeple, and put up an emblem here that represents a Buddhist temple. I know, because they put gospel tracts on the front of the Buddhist temple. You say, what's going on here? What about Beautiful Feet Ministries? I preached there for three years. What's that? It's a Baptist church that's not a Baptist church. Why not? Neighborhood went bad on Hattie and Vickery. Got to get out of Dodge. So we'll get some charismatic ministry come in and do some fruity stuff to try to get people saved. But this is not a good place for church. we got to get out. What's the solution to my neighborhood? What's the solution for, uh-oh, what's the solution for all of these illegal immigrants swimming across the border? What are you going to do with all these Mexicans? I can't believe they're coming in our country. I had to wait at the gas pump the other day because some Mexican was getting gas. And if he'd have stayed in his own country, I wouldn't have had to wait. Just trying to keep it real. People say stuff like that. I just don't know. The government needs to do something about this. Here's an idea. How about the church do something? The world gives answers that only deal with physical realities. The world gives money. The world gives... Let's build some houses, give a place for people to live. Let's give them a tax relief. Let's increase minimum wage. I mean, if we get minimum wage up to $20 an hour, it's going to be a better country. Let's, let's provide an easy street, and let's just provide welfare, and that way we can enable people to not work, and they can use more drugs. Let's, I know, let's just print stimulus checks. We just give everybody money. That'll make the place better. What does the religious world do? I know what we can do. We can have a food bank. We'll give them food. We'll give them clothes. We, we'll give them a car ride. We'll give them, I don't know, 
Mom's day out or something. We'll, we'll do a prayer walk. Don't talk to nobody. Don't confront nobody. Just walk around in a circle and pray, and maybe something will happen. I know. Let's do a fish fry. Let's, here, here's a better idea. Let's go outside and hide some plastic eggs and ask everybody to come and find them. That'll be good. We'll get our pastor to dress up as Santa Claus, and we'll have a big party, and they'll come, and, and our neighborhood will be better. The sad part is I'm not even making this stuff up. There's never any hint of any of these things. Let us learn from Jonah. The only solution for the problem of mankind is the gospel. This is the only solution God ever gives. Jonah knows that he's don't like it because he don't like the people in Nineveh. But he knows if the gospel is preached, there's the potential for change. But if the gospel's not preached, I don't care what you do. There's no potential for real, everlasting change. The proclamation of the gospel, it sounds so religious. You're already going to sleep. I know, but what am I going to do? God called me to preach. I'm just going to preach because that's what I'm called to do and because it's true and it's right and God ought to be honored by the preaching of his word. But I'm telling you that the gospel is the only remedy. And you're like, yeah, we already heard that. I know, and we're hearing it again. And we're going to hear it again. And we're going to hear it again. Because to this day, I'm not sure if we're embracing it. We're embracing it. If we were embracing it, we'd be doing something with the gospel. There'd be more excitement. There'd be more pleading. There'd be more people at the platform on their knees weeping over lost souls. There'd be more lost people in the church rather than going to frilly things out in the world and taking their kids away from the preaching of the gospel. They'd be here because they'd be expecting God to do something. There's a singular, singular remedy by, by the gospel here. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Many of you know the story of Jonah. Now we pick up in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Sounds just like chapter 1. That great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, pause right here for a second. Whatever your view is of America and the world, I'm telling you, Nineveh's worse. Here's the kind of nonsense I hear. Well, preaching outside is offensive. Okay, then be offended. We're confronting people at work with the gospel. I mean, it's not the right place. Where's the right place? Hell? I mean, where else am I going to confront them? Well, you should build a relationship. I'm building one on the gospel. Because it's the only one that matters. You go down to the lobby at the motel. You walk down, there's a Spanish guy sitting there. He's playing on his phone like all the people do. He's playing on the phone. I say, sir, in Spanish, I say, sir. And to, to ask Christiana. No, 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 no Christiana. Okay, so here's the, here's the gospel. I give the gospel in Spanish. I tell him to repent. I tell him to believe in Christ. I tell him that if, if Mary won't work, the Pope won't work, good works won't work, and if he doesn't repent and believe the gospel, he's going to go to hell. And I invite him to believe upon Christ, and I just leave him with it. You say, well, what's the good result? I have no idea, but it's the only hope the man had. I'll never see him the rest of my life. We have a gospel. We just give it away that in hopes that somebody might be born from on high. Because unless the man's heart is changed, nothing is changed. You declare the message I tell you. That's what God says to Jonah. Consistency. God had determined for Jonah to go to Nineveh, and to Nineveh he shall go. Jonah had rebelled from the command of God, but listen, church, at least grab a hold of the point, whether you like the point or not. If you're not going to do what God commands you to do, how are you going to hide from him? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go that God doesn't exist? Where are you going to hide at that God doesn't see? Learn from Jonah. I mean, you can't even get to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, as Shaolin says, without saying, dude, why are you late? God was already there. 
God had happened into Jonah and made him reassess his situation. I pray God would cause you to reassess your situation. You do have a situation. Would you reassess it? What in the world are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing with your life? What are you living for? What are you dying for? Why do you exist? What's going on in your life? Are you just coming here to church to ease your conscience? What's going on with you? Why do you wake up? Why do you read? What's going on in your life? Does God have a purpose for you? Well, Jonah's had a heart change. Now he knows how to respond when God gives a command. God gives Jonah the same command again. Arise, go to Nineveh. Everything in this thing is so weighty to me. But every time God speaks to you from His Word, this morning, from His Word, arise, go to Nineveh. So what He says to Jonah, when God confronts you with truth again and again and again and again, it's an act of mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. You say, how is it mercy? He could just let you go. And God, in His divine providence, has brought you here to be under the preaching of the Word that you might respond in obedience to what God commands. That's mercy. There's guys out there that hear nothing. And they have nothing to respond to. And they die and they go to hell for all of eternity. And God has brought you to hear truth one more time that you might receive His mercy and obey His commands. You should be very, very cautious how you respond to the Word of God when it is read or preached aloud. Because you're accountable for what God's Word says to you. Because... It's God's Word. The commission, get up from the place you're at and go to Nineveh, the very place he does not want to go. Now, in the Septuagint, it uses the word keruso. In the Hebrew, I can't pronounce it. They both mean the same thing, to make public, declaration, public declarations to proclaim something aloud, to use your voice to communicate the gospel truth to another in the public sphere. That's many shapes and sizes. I don't have time to pursue all that. I understand everybody don't stand on a box with a half-mile hailer. I get it. But you work in a cubicle beside somebody that's on their way to hell, and if you don't give them the gospel, how do you pretend they're ever going to get to heaven? Whether you're a woman or whether you're a man, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a young person, whatever the case may be, that you would communicate to the other person the gospel that saved you from your sins and gave you the hope of heaven, and you would communicate to someone else and implore them to believe Christ. To believe Christ. That's what you would do. You don't have to have a YouTube video channel. You don't have to have a Facebook posting. You just have to have a conversation with the person beside you under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and God will keep all the records straight. You just share with them because you care about their soul. Now, Jonah is a prophet. He's different. He's a prophet. He has a different calling in one sense. He's to open his mouth, stand up in the public square, and preach. That's what he's called to do. If he don't do it, he's held accountable for it. Matter of fact, if he won't do it, he might get swallowed by a fish and he might die. What's the contents one going to be proclaimed here? Proclaim it, proclaim to Nineveh the proclamation that I tell you. Yeah, this same, all these are just these religious cliches we get so accustomed to, but some of them are just true. We can't change the message. Duh. I mean, we should know that. We're not changing the message. Right, just proclaim it as God has given it. He died according to the Scriptures. He was buried according to the Scriptures. He was resurrected from the dead according to the Scriptures. He ascended on the 40th day according to these Scriptures. He was seen by over 500 people at one time. He was seen by the apostles. He was seen, last of all, by me as one born out of due time. This is the physical resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you must believe Him. Yeah, share that. The message is God's message, and the responsibility of the prophet is to speak what God said. Obviously, I can remind you of someone like Jeremiah 26, chapter 26 and verse 2. This is what Jeremiah says. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house 
and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. And what are you going to speak? All the words I command you to speak to them. And he says this, do not hold back a word. Just open up the book and let it rip. Preach it all out. Lay it all out there and trust God to be God. Thus says the Lord. I make a comment about open air preaching because, well, that's what Jonah's doing here in a city where it's not culturally acceptable. I would venture to say this, when Jonah preached, some people were offended. I'd venture to say this, some people thought he was too loud. I don't think Jonah walked through Nineveh whispering. Right? What do you expect me to do at the fireworks show? Hey, guys, you need Jesus. Hey, guys, repent. Really? How in the world are they going to hear if I don't lift my voice and cry out? How's it going to happen? I mean, this is what Jonah does. John Calvin. I'll give you the Calvinistic quote about the evangelistic prophet. Let that sink in. Calvinistic quote, evangelistic prophet. Did anybody get that? Okay, all right. Calvin says, I send thee a man unknown and of no rank and a stranger to denounce ruin on men, not a few in number, but on a vast multitude, and to carry on a contest with the noblest city. To carry on a contest with the noblest city and so populous that it may seem to be an entire region of itself. Go in there and just take on the whole city with the message God's given you. After all, hey, do we believe this? After all, we are ambassadors to the king. Right? Is this true or not true? We're ambassadors to the king. What's an ambassador? My king told me to tell you. Well, I don't like what you have to say. I'm just telling you what my king told me to tell you. I'm just an ambassador. Don't kill the ambassador. Take it up with the king. This is what we do. We communicate gospel truths. Why? Because we believe the gospel is the only thing that has the power to actually change a person's life. Do we? Do we do we believe this? Do you believe this? Is this the heart of who you are? Are you laboring daily trying to figure out how in the world to get the gospel to your neighbor? I still remember Lolita, Texas, living in a 21-foot travel trailer and with no slide-outs, and my wife and my kid and my dog crammed in there and weeping and weeping for that guy in that trailer across the street. And I remember going over there with a trembling arm and knocking on his door. And I just said, I had to share the gospel with him. And I didn't even know what I said, but I just couldn't live with myself no longer lest he heard that Christ was his only hope this is what we do I wouldn't stand on a box with a half mile hailer I was trembling like a little schoolgirl at somebody's door saying would you please look to Christ it's what we do because we believe the gospel when the word of God is preached it's a great mercy ask anybody that's been converted you, know, you don't believe it's a great mercy. Perhaps you've never been converted. Because if you've been converted, you know that when truth is preached, it's all mercy. When God sends you on a mission by his word to your neighbor, your co-worker, your family member, when he sends you on that mission, you become the instrument of mercy. Would somebody please do something with the doors opening and shutting? When God gives you a message of judgment, it is a great mercy that should be received humbly with a heart that seeks God. And that's how they received it in Nineveh. Oh, God has been good to send a prophet to speak to us the truth. And that's the way they received it. I doing okay? Hey, man, hey, man. You all right? I need a white shirt. Amen? Amen? <laughs> I'm making fun of somebody. Never mess. Okay, here we go. Number two, surveying Nineveh, chapter 3, verse 3. You see it there in your text. So, Jonah, he got up. 
and he went to Nineveh. What amazing thing that somebody here today would get up and go to their neighbor, a family member, a friend, a co-worker. God said, take the gospel. I heard the gospel. I'm just going to get up and go. And by faith, I'm going to go according to the word of the Lord. And then we get this phrase, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Great city can mean several different things. You can take your view, whichever one you want. Grandeur, it's a great city. Dignity, splendor. A city that was, you can take it as a, a city that's important to God. You can take it as a city whose response would affect numerous nations. If you need an example, what would happen if Mexico City experienced revival? Mexico City has 30 million people. What would happen if all of Mexico City got saved? How many nations and countries would be affected? So it could be a a great city in that regard. Or you could think about it geographically. Uh, It could be just the size of it that if I start here and go to there, it'd take me three days to walk and five days to drive a Chevy. I'm just trying to keep you all awake. It's a big city. It's 120,000 people don't know the right hand from their left hand. If those are kids, you've got to have a mom and a dad, and you include all of those, you've got about a half a million people. It's a big place. The general custom of the prophet is what? This is the general custom. Day one, here's Jonah. He arrives at Nineveh. He goes to the city central, if you will, of the leadership, and he says, Hi, my name's Jonah. Just want you to know I'm here to preach. That's day one. It's general custom. Day two, the prophet says, here's my message. Thus saith the Lord. And if you don't repent, 40 days, you ain't going to be no more. Day three, you got any questions? I'll give you an answer. If not, I do. See you later. Hey, it may not sound very compassionate, but that's just the way you do it. You walk in, you announce who you are, you preach your message. If they don't kill you, you go home. It's either that for these three days, or it's just so big, he started preaching when he entered the city, and three days of preaching is what it took for him to get to the other side. Whatever the case may be, without the silly idolatry cell phone and social media and Wi-Fi and all of this junk, here's what happened. (laughs) Jonah preached, and the entire city was affected. How so? You think about a half a million people, exactly how many people actually verbally heard him? I don't know, but the people who heard him were so affected, they told somebody else. And they were so affected, they told somebody else, and they told somebody else. And it was so remarkable that the king of Nineveh said, hold on. What a gospel strategy. A city well known in that part of the world Half a million people, perhaps. God sends Jonah, morally evil city, to stand up and say, thus says the Lord. Now I'm pausing. I keep pausing because I, I read faces for a living. That's what I do. So I pause to say, again, do you believe this? You, you have to work this out in your own heart. You say, you know, I mean, maybe that worked in Jonah's time. I and mean, be honest. You say, yeah, maybe it worked in Jonah's time, but it won't work in our time. I mean, you don't have to say it out loud. I won't call you out and make you say it out loud, but it's people sitting in this room going, that won't work today. Okay, fine. Then tell me what works. Give me a better option. Give me a better plan. I'm willing to listen. Give me something greater than the gospel. Give me something greater than substitution. Give me something greater than justification, sanctification, glorification. Give me something greater than adoption by the Father of heaven. Give me something greater to work with, and I'll gladly receive it. But you ain't got nothing. If you don't believe the power of the gospel, what do you believe? Jonah didn't write a church growth book and sell nothing at Lifeway. It was just plan A, preach the gospel. The largest revival in biblical, biblical history ever recorded. Size should not prohibit the communication of the gospel. Now, to be fair, I am 100% for 
going to a fireworks show where t- they tell me there's thousands of people and preaching the gospel. I'm all for it. We just did that last month or this month, whatever it was. But I'm also for going and heralding the gospel in a little corner of a nook where nobody hears you preach to two people who need the gospel. It's not one or the other. It's both and. We do it all. He said, this one person is as important as the masses. The gospel is powerful, and it alone can change a city, state, country, and world. The church, by the word Baptist church, never forget or never diminish the primary use of the gospel for changing the human heart. I don't lobby politics. I don't preach Republican. I don't preach Democrat. I don't care for Trump, and I don't care for Biden. I don't care for a lost pagan world in the sense that I'm going to hold them up as the solution, like, oh, let's get Trump in again. Then the nation's going to be better. To hell with that. The only, problem, the only way we're going to have any hope for this nation is when the gospel is returned to the centerpiece and gospel, and God gets the honor that he deserves over his gospel. It's the only hope for a nation. If that doesn't happen, America is sunk. You can wave your flags and sing America the Beautiful all the way to hell, but unless the gospel changes the heart, there's no change. Jonah knew it. He just didn't like it. He's being fair. He did not like it because he didn't like the Ninevites. But he went. It's the difference. But he went. We say we love, but we don't go. We say we care, but we don't give. We say we don't want people going to hell, but we don't tell them nothing. At least Jonah went. Pastor Randall, is there days you've preached when you didn't want to preach? (laughs) I lost count. Are there times you've shared the gospel with people you didn't like? I can't even come up with a number high enough to count that. Hey, a lot of people I don't like. But it don't matter whether I like them or not. Oh, well, I'll share the gospel with people I like. Have you ever shared the gospel with Festus? He's the only one I like. You can't do that. Chapter 3, verse 4, straight preaching. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. Went a day's journey, and he called out. This is all we have factually, in quotes, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's not how you build a church. It's not how you win friends and influence people. It's not how you get invited to a lot of places to make a big to-do about you. But Jonah don't care in one sense. He's just going to say what God told him to say. Yet 40 days, and we're wiping this place out because you're a bunch of heathens. Loose translation, right? Proclamation. Engage the people by entering where they are. Engage them wherever they're at. You say, well, give me an illustration. I'll give you an illustration. I'm riding my stupid bicycle, whatever you think about my bicycle riding. I'm wearing my goofy spandex. Make fun of me. I don't really care. I'm going down the road. The road is closed. There's 10 people standing there, yellow vests, leaning on shovels. I don't know if they ever do any work, and they're just standing there. So I just stop, and I say, hey, guys, did you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him? Unless you repent and believe on Jesus, you're going to die and go to hell. I encourage you to believe on Christ. I got on my bike and rode off. Just engage the people. You say, I bet they thought you were stupid. I really don't care. It doesn't matter what they think about me. It doesn't matter. What matters is what they think about Christ. Maybe one of those guys I'll never see again in my life is like, you you ain't going to believe this. This guy in spandex stood here and told us these things, and I can't get it out of my mind. And last night, I repented and believed on Christ, and my life has changed. That might have happened. You don't know. Here again in verse 4, the word is used again, Russo, to preach. The greatest revival in biblical history was brought about in a pagan, God-hating culture through the anti-cultural means of preaching. You notice how we did that? A pagan, God-hating culture is converted by the anti-cultural acceptance of preaching. Nobody in Nineveh is supportive of gospel preaching. But yet it was done, and the nation was changed. From the text alone, 
ponder this. From the text alone, no hope is given. In 40 days, overthrown. You say, well, he probably said, I agree. I'm all about the probably. But from the text, no hope is given. The message is clear. The message is direct. And the message is powerful. Dude, if you don't get your life right, this place is going to be wiped out. That's what he says in short form. 40 days it shall be destroyed. Promise of destruction. No hope of restoration is given. No fluff, no humor, no entertainment in his preaching. Just straight up, thus says the Lord. Pending. Judgment is knocking on your door. The thrice holy God has business with you. It's about to come down. God's about to throw off the gloves. And this thing's about to get ugly if you don't repent. Going to be overthrown. Calls to be overturned. Upset. Cause something to be in total disarray, destroy, ruin, upset in a way that the victims lose their bearings, turn away, mislead, divert, ruin, overthrow, all of these things. You want an example? Just look at Sodom and Gomorrah. That's where the word is used. That's where the word is applied. The people of Nineveh, I'm sure, have gotten wind of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they know what the message means. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is coming to Nineveh unless something changes. Look, I'm saying to you, I'm submitting to you this morning that, look, I'm all for the love of God. I'm all for the mercy of God. I'm all for the grace of God. I'm all for the hope of heaven. But it is true that the judgment of God and the eternal wrath of God and the hell of God must be presented before men where they'll know what they're saved from and know who they're saved to. Because when you know that, then your life will be changed forever. You cannot get saved and remain the same. It's false conversion, and it is no conversion. Last verse, saving faith, verse 5. The people of Nineveh, I love it. You remember, you can turn back if you like. I'm just going to read the verse, but you remember the nation of Israel and the gospel according to Moses. It's last week in Exodus 6. Moses gives his message, and they say, and the text says, but they did not listen to Moses. But they did not listen to Moses. They just didn't listen to Moses. Then you come over here to this pagan, God-hating nation, and Jonah preaches, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Do note, it doesn't say believed Jonah. They believed God. God spoke through Jonah, and they believed God. They connected the preaching of Jonah directly to the voice of God. They were convinced that God would destroy them for their wickedness. Their belief caused them to act in humble repentance. Now, what are some implications here? Look, don't fall asleep. Don't shut your Bibles. Don't drift off in no man's land and look at Facebook. Look, here's some implications of this. Jonah made it clear, I believe, with everything with him, and he made it clear they sinned against God. Jonah made it clear They deserve the judgment of God. Jonah made it clear what God he was preaching about. This is the God of heaven, the creator of all things. The people on the boat in chapter 1 knew who this God was. He's making this God known who God is. Jonah made the nature of God understandable. Certainly this means the people of Nineveh comprehended holiness as well as grace. What was in Jonah's gospel here? The depravity of man for sure. The depravity of man. The deserved judgment that is impending upon man. The need of the mercy of God. You say, how do you get mercy out of this? Because I know what the rest of the chapter says, and I know how they responded in hopes of getting mercy. Sackcloth, ashes, nobody eat, nobody drink, let's fast. Let's just stop all this nonsense and see what God will do. Maybe he'll be merciful. Surely, fourthly, God would provide a way that our sins could be atoned for. So in humility, their attitude here, their actions are repentance and humility. Their attitude, their humility is seen in two things. As I just mentioned, I'll just briefly say them again. They declared a fast. This denotes what? 
the seriousness in which they sought God. Well, I'm kind of out of time, but... You see, we, we want to make things so easy a caveman can do it, right? So we invent a way to make it easy. That way nobody has to labor over their sin. They can just get into heaven without cost. So what we come up... I'm not making this stuff up. This is what we come up with. Bow your head, close your eyes, nobody looking around. You want Jesus? Look at me in the eye. Wink at me. Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right. Now, we're all going to stand together. i got a few people stationed that are going to come forward where you won't feel uncomfortable about coming forward. They'll come forward first, and if you want Jesus, you just follow them down front. If you stand up here, then you've got Jesus, and you get to go to heaven. I don't care if you come back and get baptized, but at least you came down, and we can count you as a number, and we can all clap. Now, wasn't that easy? This, what did these people do? They fasted. They sought God until they came to the conclusion that a real change had happened to the heart. These people were eternally affected. Many people in our evangelical churches today are temporarily affected on their way to hell. They put on sackcloth. They're wearing a sackcloth, especially those who are used to fine linen like the king, was a very uneasy thing. They would not have done it had they not had a deep sense of their sin and the danger by reason of sin, which hereby they designed to express. They put on sackcloth and they mourned over the weight of their sin and sought the mercy of God. Stop. Look at your own heart. Look in your own life. Have you ever felt the weight of your sin and saw your condemnation under God and you were so moved to pity and compassion you broke down in your heart and asked God for mercy and when God gave you mercy your life was eternally changed and from that moment to this moment your love for Christ has been increasing and you say no I say then you don't know the gospel You don't know the gospel, because if you have a gospel, it sets you free from the burden of sin and gives you a new heart and a right spirit, and you have love, and you have faith, and you have hope, and these are external exhibits, whatever that word is, the exhibits of genuine saving faith. And they had it. Verses 6 through 10, I won't read, show the result of their genuine repentance And in verse 9, there's a great question that's asked in verse 9. The position the king reached and what a good word he gave to his people when he said this. Who knows? Who knows? That's what he asked. God just might turn. God just might relent. God might just back off the judgment. I deserve. Who knows? I don't know if he's going to do it or not. But I'm just going to stay here until he does. He might turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You remember? Anybody? Anybody remember? You remember pleading with God? Or did you think God owed you salvation? You remember pleading? Who knows? God might save me. God might be merciful, but I ain't leaving this room until mercy comes. I don't know what God will do, but I know repentance is the only way to respond based on what Jonah has said. Application, the word of the Lord is that you must repent and believe the gospel or you will be destroyed. If you believe that, it'd bother you. That's the thing that Grieves me sometimes is people who think they're saved lose care of the ones around them that are not saved. It's like, how in the world can people do what they do when they have the responsibility they have over their unconverted children and grandchildren? How is that? How is it that we can believe a gospel and yet... In all the things the church does, we don't make sure our kids participate because we don't necessarily care if they get converted or not. I mean, I'm going to heaven. What does it matter if they go or not? So by example, what do we do? We teach that everything else is more important than the gospel. So the gospel we just tack on if it's convenient. 
They really don't cost us nothing. God sent his son to be a substitute for sinners. He died, was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead. He has commanded you and me to repent and believe him. Your response is either in humility or pride. But I can tell you this. You may not see it, so let me say it as we close. The gospel is not impotent, meaning the gospel is not without power. You say, well, pastor, this is, I struggle with this, but pastor, we don't see people getting converted around here. Yeah, I know. I see it too. I don't see a lot of baptisms happening around here. I don't know if it can grieve you more than it grieves me. You say, but you told me that the gospel has power, but it's not doing anything. Oh, it's doing something. We just might not like what it's doing. You see, because the gospel has the power to harden, and the gospel has the power to soften. And therein lies the great danger for those in the church a lot of times. It's because of a lack of response. They just get harder and harder to the truth of God. And the only way that can be corrected is to repent and to embrace God and His mercy. And I pray that everyone in this room would listen, hear, and receive in humility this power of this gospel to save, not only for yourself, but that it would so affect you that it would bring you a concern for your children, for your grandchildren, for your friends and your neighbors, that you would have a legitimate concern for them. Now, listen, legitimate concern means more than just having an emotional moment with goosebumps right now. But a legitimate concern says, what am I going to do to go to Nineveh? How am I going to go to Nineveh? How am I going to get there? And what am I going to do? My professor, Dr. Bill Vincent, told me, he says, I don't really care about all your fears and anxieties that you have beforehand. I just care what you do when you get to the plate. You have all the fears you want to have. But when it comes time to talk to someone, what are you going to do when you get to the plate? Dad, what are you going to do about your son, your daughter? What are you going to do about your grandchild? What are you going to do at the plate? You have all these fears. Are you going to have a talk? Are you going to sit down? Are you going to explain the gospel? Are you going to show them and point them to Christ? Are you going to do that? Each individual and each local church body must resolve what it is they believe. If the gospel is, and it is, the power of God, then the gospel must be the remedy for all situations. We must speak like Paul. I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Every event, every difficulty in the church, every difficulty outside the church, every reality of depravity in the world is to be addressed with the gospel. People must be called to repentance because the world is going to be destroyed. I don't know if it's going to be in 40 days, but it's coming. And since that's true, there's hope. There's a gospel, and the church is the one who is to proclaim this gospel. Oh, let me finish this last paragraph. The problem with our society is a sin problem. I, I want to finish this paragraph because it's like everybody keeps telling me, I don't know why people do this. I don't know why they do this. I don't know why politics do this. I don't know why people are acting this way. I don't know why people are shooting people. I don't know why guys are identifying as girls and girls are identifying as guys. I don't know why guys are sleeping with guys and girls are sleeping with dogs and all this stuff. I don't know. I don't understand all this. Hello, Sin. Sin, sin, sin in the human heart has blinded their eyes. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. They can't see. They're in a stupor and they're dead in their sin. They act this way because they don't know God. That's why. That's the whole reason is they don't honor God as God. And the only hope they have is for them to understand who God is. It's a hard issue. It's always a hard issue. You say, preacher, why are you yelling? Because somebody needs to say it. Look, the Republican Party is not going to solve America. They can't fix the heart. The stimulus check just made people more carnal. It's a spiritual deadness that is being manifested by physical actions. 
the things we see, the things we hear, the things we experience in our world are no different than Nineveh. God sent Jonah. Yes, I love Andy Griffith. Yes, I'm old school. But he sent Jonah with one bullet. It's just he knew how to use the bullet. The gospel. If men will not repent, they will suffer the judgment of God. There's no middle ground. It's the gospel alone that has the power to procure repentance and faith. It's the gospel alone that raises men from spiritual death to spiritual life. You're sitting in this church this morning, you say, well, it's not affecting me. Oh, it's affecting you. It's the gospel alone that must be pressed upon people. They need to know they have sinned against God. They deserve the judgment of God. And unless they repent and believe upon Jesus Christ, they're going to suffer the justice of God for all of eternity in hell. Oh, but for those who believe, we receive mercy. We receive mercy, and we get adopted, and we have eternal life. I don't know. Pastor, you're crazy. Okay. Pastor, you lost your mind. Fine. Pastor, you yell too much. Okay, whatever. You yell loud at your stupid football game. Get over it. You do. I mean, look... I'm an emotional person. I'm stirred up. Why? Because I see all the ways God is blasphemed. And I see all the little trinkets of goofy things evangelicals do. And I'm like, somebody needs to be reminded there's only one solution and the church should be all in. Missions, evangelism, track distribution, gospel proclamation, one-on-one, crowds, multitudes, little corners where nobody sees you, all of that at a restaurant table, over coffee, on the grandstands of a football stadium, wherever, if the church doesn't do what Jonah does and go to the people that we don't even like with the gospel, nobody's saved and the whole nation is destroyed. All right, I'm done.